I got to warn you. You're doomed to stay. Go. Go. I think we just met Ralph. God, what's next? We're back. Scant seconds for us but longer for you since the last thrilling episode. An indeterminate time, depending on how quickly I get my finger out and edit the episodes. Now it's time for the Stardom Gigantic Lizard episode. Uh, it's true, so, uh, I'm Andy. Oh, I'm Ralph. I, yeah, I we, forgot to say what we, my name was last we, time. We didn't, uh, so... You... Oh, oh dear. <laughs> anyway, that's our names. It's professional, isn't it? It is. So... So, so, what treats do we have in store this episode? We've kind of prefaced some live We're going to talk about the Dalek book. We've got some yes. finds from the Uncanny Oxfam, which are of a much greater quality than previous one. Very briefly mentioned last time's foreshadowing. Yep. Like it was planned that way. Exactly. Gigantic um, Blizzard fun. Yep. And, and of course, the least exciting installment of Ralph Reed's Star Trek. So, we're going to kick things off with the Dalek book. What is the Dalek book, Andy? The Dalek book is the astounding untold history of the greatest enemies of the universe. The greatest enemies of who? Of the universe. In the book. Yeah, but, yeah, but who, who the, specifically? Uh, uh, Which character, uh, you know? All of life. Are they from Marvel? Are they from DC? This, Where are they from? This is, this is from the mind of Terry Nation. They're from Doctor Who. Okay, I give you enough links. Uh, I know, I was teasing out. Okay. So this is the, the BBC Doctor Who Dalek book, written by uh, George Mann, Cavan Scott and Justin Richards. All of which have done fine work in the past. It's true. Put out through uh, Harper Design, an imprint of HarperCollins Publishers. Uh, Daleks are created by Terry Nation, and he gets a little bit of a credit on the... Does it make you get mentioned anywhere? Uh, I think internally he does, but not in terms of the actual, because we are well aware. He was the actual designer of the Dalek. Yeah, so it's an oversized coffee table book. And uh, not in sort of massive, massive, I'd say. It's a little bit bigger than A4, but it's very sturdy. It's very heavy, and the Dalek bumps are embossed on the front, so you can feel them with your hands, you can feel the Dalek bumps. Yes. Which is uh, kind of disturbing, actually. Uh, I don't like to feel it's, the Dalek bump. Again, shiny silver with dirt on it to make it look like it's kind of a Dalek casing. There are the oh, that's there actually, are actually yeah, oh, designed I, to be. Oh, I thought you just got a scuffed copy. No, look oh. at those tiny little lines to make it look like it's the oh, panels oh, on that. Oh, well, it, it failed on me. I thought you got a scuffed copy. No, oh, dear. Design defect. It's not a well designed effect. No, so it opens, uh, you've got exterminating big letters on the. No exclamation mark. On. Exactly. So yeah. it's basically a sort of. It's a combination of kind of a, a fictional history, sort of looking at it from the point of view of an actual in-universe history of the Daleks. Peppered throughout, though, there are actually real-world histories, so it talks about the design of it, voices. the Daleks' appearance, yeah, their voices, their appearances in other media, merchandising. The highlight of it are four short comic strips throughout. It's kind of like an update from the old uh, Dalek books back in the day, uh, when Doctor Who was still young. The, uh, before our time yeah. but a certain generation of very nostalgic about the old uh, Dalek books and yeah. the, the fiction they had in was it Yarville? 
Daleks or is that from TV Twenty One? Yarvel's from the the Dalek TV, the comic strip and TV uh, comic. I do apologise. So uh, things we can say about it is it's got a very nice paper. The comic strips are fantastic. Comic strips are good. Uh, they do a thing which I wanted to see because in Doctor Who we have the War Doctor, the John Hurt incarnation, and so far uh, in audio and uh, comic and novel formats, it's always been shown as when he was very old, John Hurt. I when you see him on, on television, but not ignoring the fact that when John when Paul began regenerating into John Hart on the television for Doctor Who, the one little shot you see of John Hart is when he's quite young. He looks kind of like in his twenties. So the implication being that his incarnation visibly aged quite a lot uh, so during the time that he was yeah. uh, that character, that version of of the Time Lord. Yeah. So this has uh, him near the start of the war when he's looking young, which is good. I think it's various writers take a, a, a go at each of the scripts. Uh, the strips, the it's the same creative team in terms of the art throughout. Uh, they are they are thankfully credited on the individual strips, but don't actually get mentioned in the actual contents of the like in terms of being involved. So the artist is Mike Collins, a long time Doctor Who artist, and who's worked on the TV show as well. And, yes, and also uh, Ladybird Transformers books. The one true Transformers continuity. Yep. Or is uh, the colours are by uh, Chris Carter, who's previously done some. Uh, did both of those also did the uh, BBC Worldwide gra- OGNs yeah. for Doctor Who? Uh, Chris also done uh, does his own work, Lewis Cannon, and has done work for IDW and the like as well. Indeed. Uh, and it's also very lovely chap. And letters are by Ian Charman of. Uh, Orangutang Comics also very lovely chap I was chatting to him on Mastodon not long before we recorded this and he was talking about one of the strips has the Cybermen in it and he actually developed a bit of a lettering style for it because he noticed that they've never had one consistently unlike the Daleks who kind of had one that everyone seems to have stuck to Uh, so the strips are lovely so the first one is a War Doctor one but he's very young and then it talks about the creation of the Daleks which is kind of the again in-universe stuff it talks about then it goes into that Uh, the art the accompanying illustrations are by Alex Fort, and there's a, two differing styles that, that we get throughout. We get basically CG model illustrations, 3D yes. model illustrations, sure. which ugh, just not very good. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't like ragging on stuff, just but the Davros just does, looks basically like a Patrick Stewart with a bit of lumpy, lumpy makeup and a bit too skinny. It doesn't look happy. Doesn't look, like that, doesn't look like Davros. No. Doesn't look enough like Davos no. in the face. The, I mean, you know, the the CG stuff. It's there are bits of it that are fine, and there are also bits where they, they get the wrong amount of uh, spaces between the Daleks yeah, dome. I mean, a lot of it is, to be honest, I would be absolutely delighted to cock a hoop if I was able to do it myself. Yeah, but it's not quite. Um, and they're also and it's pretty quite muddily as well. Like there's meant to be like atmospheric shots of Daleks and, and there's also and shots that, recre- that attempt to recreate bits from the series where you could have just dropped in screen grabs from that the appropriate re- resolution uh, there, there was a bit by Uncle Terrence Dix yes the, um, Uncle Terrence the uh, scriptwriter and uh, Eric Seward uh, yes Eric Seward does a little bit at the end uh, uh, Mike Tucker as well yes uh, the thing is it's one of these things that it's quite obviously pitched it's, it's a book that Doctor Who fans are going to look out and it's going to disappoint them because it doesn't really tell much new it's not really doing anything different enough to justify it and so you're like well it's the casual punter isn't going to drop $45 US 56 Canadian I think I paid about 20 odd quid for this I forgot I pre-ordered it until I got, came up with a bank account and went oh by the way it's the shipping it's like oh yeah I pre-ordered that without really knowing what it was yes 
Yeah, pre-ordering can, can be fun, kids. It can also be very expensive. Never forget a pre-order. Yeah. We've all done it. Yes. Uh, I'll say, charitably, again, the comic strips are the highlights. Some, it's nice to see some of the merchandise that you get later on. Uh, I think special mention has to be made of one of the most disturbing things. Now, let's just preface this before we go into it. Now, the history of Doctor Who books has, has had some interesting bits. There was an infamous book called Doctor Who and the Companions uh, a while ago, <laughs> long before it came back on television. And this was a, a large format coffee table book uh, in which uh, various female uh, companions of the Doctor posed in scantily outfits and so on. Uh, some of which are new photographs. Unfortunately, there was a bit of camel toe in there. I'm not going to explain what that is. Look up the internet, kids. But it, it was it was unfortunate, shall we say, even in the context of its time. Um, just no. And there have been a fine traditional Doctor Who books having really dodgy illustrations. Now, there was uh, one of the Doctor's adventures. The Daleks decided, we've got this really good idea, right? We keep getting beaten and we've lost the time war and so on. What we're going to do is we're going to create a new kind of Dalek, right? So we're going to interface with humans and we will create a human Dalek hybrid which was Dalek sec Dalek sec uh, which was like a, a, a human sort of body with the sort of Dalek mutiny thing sort of like becoming part of his head there's an illustration to show this could you describe this illustration okay so it's, it's on a black background as most of the illustrations are in a lot of this book so it's Dalek sec quite clearly topless uh, and it fades to black just below just below what would be nipple height but it's got I'm just staring at you and I saw I could, I, I could and, say and because it goes dark below it's kind of implied that it's a pit up naked shot of Dalek sec if I because I want to keep the clean tag I can't say what I described as last night <laughs> like burns this is the way you can do a euphemism uh, it's sort of a, it's more for a for, the, for those into self-flagellation and self-abuse it, it's a challenge shall we say <laughs> <laughs> That's the best as we can do it and still, and still keep our clean tag. There is no sign of one hand clapping to this picture. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, the, the thing is, it's. <laughs> it, it does sort of, It goes on a bit big finish as well on Dalek and other media. Let's, let's bring it back. It does actually yeah. feature Beautiful Vince's big finish Dalek Empire audio series. It runs through where there are other periods as the 22nd of December 2017 each episode is £99 on the Big Finish for website. download only I highly, highly recommend that we don't work for them we don't get any commission uh, it also talks about the there is a, I don't know if it won't be on the 99 pence sale however iDavros iDavros is currently 99 pence sale get that basically it's for anyone who's seen iClaudius it's just I that this. Uh, I Thank you. Uh, it's basically that but with Davros uh, instead of Claudius it's basically how Davros comes out it's really really good the book itself is very nicely put together but it just it doesn't do enough I think for no, what it is it's a very nice presentation uh, it's not it's not nice coffee table picture book which it's kind of what you th- I thought it was when I uh, arrived it's like I thought it'd be like that with a couple of paragraphs here and there so, so a lot more text than I was expecting it's not really anything new to the, the hardcore Doctor Who enthusiast so I think it kind of falls between two styles like I say the comic strips are both two they're all two pages just little chunks and snippets and sort of scenes of bits of where the war is which is ideal yes perfect because I don't think when the time war story are being told it's you can really only tell bits around them because what you imagine would be difficult to put down on both the either the written page uh, for audio in terms of big finish or indeed special effects because it's a time war I'd want something so completely out of my frame of reference that yes. it's not there so you're only seeing the repercussions of the ripples and the aftermath really 
it's like things like the, when the doctor disguised the jaws of the nightmare child and stuff like that or the, yeah. the, the scarrow degradations and the like so no I want something focative yeah so that was, that was the new Dalek book so it's if you can get it cheap mm-hmm. it's worth a wee read and a look at if you live in an area where you get burgled a lot and wish to have something to bop the burgle over the head with it's also quite good for that as well it's a bit too heavy to you because I used don't to don't use excessive force don't really jail in my youth I used to use annuals as drawing boards as well when I would, when I would draw and sit and sketch around the house too heavy for that it is actually quite a heavy book it's not a book to just sit and read in your hands it's you need to put it on a table it's a proper table book very good yeah I, I want, the thing is it's one of these things I wanted to like this more and that's why I'm so disappointed it's like I, it's like oh this looks good this is a nice package this could be really nice the art just the CG stuff leaves me cold it's not there are many many much more talented fan artists out there that have done better than that it's a shame and it's not good the there. Chaps worked on the TV show, yeah, as well. So, but anyway, it's all over there. So from some, from from some written material that that left us underwhelmed to some some much better written material in this episode's Uncanny Oxfam. So, as was mentioned last time, a recent acquisition is what's called one of Marvel's graphic novels. Now, back in the day, they used to make before graphic novels were actually like a thing and are basically like collections of old comics. They would do these special sort of album formats, like in sort of the European comics, and be called Marvel Graphic Novels. Uh, the Death of Captain Marvel being the first one that they kicked off with by Cosmic Jim. Indeed, and they were kind of, as I said, they were the prestige and quite expensive for the time. Now, this one we're going to go on about uh, came out in December 1990. So at the time, an average US comic would have been, what, $1.50? Well, before, no, $1.25. Only the things like Excalibur and Spider-Man, because Marvel had the two grades. Yes. So you had your normal one, mm-hmm. and then other ones that would slightly better paper stock, yeah. but also had shorter print runs, hence why they were slightly, slightly yeah. large. The first, the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man was in that. Excalibur, Wolverine, a few other notable ones as well. Indeed. So, into that context, the animation special X-Men graphic novel came out. And it was $10.95, so quite a... And what was that in UK money? £5.50. So more expensive than an annual. Yeah, and even now, actually, £5.50. It's like, okay. Um, so on the back, it says, Wolverine, Cyclops, Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, Dazzler. Together they form the X-Men, the most amazing team of mutant heroes in the world. Led by Professor X, they must defeat the malevolent Magneto and his brotherhood of evil mutants, dot, dot, dot. Or else, all non-mutant kind, all non-mutant mankind dies. And to further complicate their mission, the X-Men must do this while welcoming their newest Dash and most inexperienced Dash member, Kitty Pride. Based on the recent half-hour X-Men television special, this graphic novel tells the story using the actual art from the animated film itself! Exclamation mark. So, so before we actually talk about it, just make sure we get the credit. So it's based on. Uh, the Pride of the X-Men, Pride spelled P-R-Y-D-E, as in the surname of Kitty Pride. Adapted by Danny Fingeroff from the television screenplay by Larry Parr, Art by Marvel Productions, letter Janice Jiang, editor, Uncle Bob Bidiansky of Transformers fame, editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco. Uh, Danny Fingeroff, if you're a Transformers fan, you'll know what he looks like because he is the basis of Donnie Finkelberg from uh, Robot Master. So, what's unusual about this... Uh, 
even today actually is that rather so I said it's based on a, a television it says television special which is basically a pilot for an X-Men cartoon before the one that most people are familiar with so in the half hour slot was it on video? VHS released in the US and in the UK a little bit later remember the short lived for those of us of our age Marvel Video Comics where they packaged a couple of episodes of Spider-Man on its own uh, from the 82 one then there was Spider-Man as Amazing Friends uh, you also had Fantastic Four I believe it was the 78 one with Herbie they used they didn't use the 60s one uh, it's also had the Robocop yeah. and I think Spider-Woman mm-hmm. and that's, I think that was about it from the video comics at that point I think maybe, so. or maybe a Rambo one yeah maybe maybe so obviously someone somewhere decided well you know we're going to try and get someone out of this uh, so rather than redraw the story they take screen caps from the comics not from the comics from the cartoon yeah to make a comic yeah there we go um, and that basically is the basis of this graphic novel now the interesting thing I often wonder how many more people at the time maybe read this than saw the cartoon lots because I re- thing is the VHS I managed to eventually get I think in the space year 1996 mm-hmm. from Forbidden Planet at Edinburgh uh, but I got this back in 90 tail end of ni- 91, 92 around by that time when I was in Perth I had to special order this from the bookshop because yeah. I, I knew what the book was so I got them to special order it and they got it and I eventually picked it up one day after school most people would have seen it there was a Channel 4 programme about Marvel UK back when the Death's Head the mistake either did and they showed you little bits of this in it that's also on YouTube as is Pride of the X-Men yes uh, I don't believe you can commercially buy it I don't think currently at the moment it's not been released no. again on any since, since the VHS yeah. it's not cropped up even as a special feature on anything like you would have thought maybe the X-Men animated series if they did the box set you'd just chuck it on who knows if the master is still in any decent state or still exists even so you can find it not in fantastic quality but you can find it as yeah. it, just type in X-Men Pride of the X-Men on YouTube and you'll find it it's, it's quite a fun little cartoon it's a decent pilot is the, it is. and if you're if you grew up with 80s animation you'll recognise almost all of the voices there uh, you've got uh, Michael Bell uh, Prowl and Johan from the Smurfs Rob Zorn and Encounter the Far Point uh, Star Trek Next Generation uh, you notice we go in order of his important roles uh, is Cyclops and he's spot on he's a perfect Cyclops actually yes. you then have a Wolverine Oh, we'll come to Wolverine right. we then have uh, Neil Ross Springer the best from Transformers the movie and Slag is the voice of Nightcrawler also the best X-Man he is not yes we've been over this many times so off, off air we'll but again you then have Storm who tedious and gives speeches check <laughs> I have the power of the wind and the rain that's how she talks yeah. just, just like that Uh the voice of Professor X is Alpha Trion from the cartoons and Cup John Steven the Thundercracker John Stevenson well done <laughs> I'm not I'm, I'm, I'm no McFeely but I do know a little bit from here and there uh, I'm struggling to remember who is Colossus uh, Frank Welker is the voice of Lockheed the Dragon because uh, he's an animal and is also Toad <laughs> Toad uh, Kath Susie, the voice of basically many young children in cartoons, and Kubert in Futurama, okay. our best role. Keep going, this is, is Kate Pride. This is Kate like Pride. He's not looking at you, Wikipedia, or anything. This is off his head. Keep going. It's Kate Pride. Um, oh, good lord. Uh, That's not now. Uh, thanks. I think I'm pretty much hitting the wall in terms Wolver- of who they are. I can't remember who it is, but the, the best thing about Wolverine is Wolverine, as we all know, 
is is Australian. Yes. We we thought that started with Hugh Jackman. No, no, no. Oh. This is where it is. This is Australian Wolverine. Uh, yeah, it's like, he's not joining X-Men, hey, I'm over here. Uh, yeah, I'm from, I'm from Australia. Oh, good Lord, yeah. I have to do accents. Hey, 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 I speak like this, because I'm from Australia. Yeah, that's it. The, the, the X-Men don't have room for whiny brats. That's not Australia. That's closer to Australian than yours. <laughs> I admit my Australian accent is not great, but however, uh, it's basically the cla- almost as close to the classic sort of 80s X-Men lineup you would you would yes. expect. Plus Dazzler. <laughs> Plus Dazzler, yeah. But then everyone forgets that Dazzler was a big seller. Yeah. Where is my Dazzler film? Where Dazzler the movie? But, but Dazzler was like in the Galactus and stuff. Yeah. So maybe maybe Fox have got Dazzler. Was Dazzler not in Fantastic Four first? No X-Men. Which issue? Uh, Dark Phoenix Saga. Really? They meet her in the club when she's a disco singer. The Dazzler debuts in, I'm sure, debuts in Uncanny X-Men. Remember when the Hellfire Club are going after? Oh, after yeah, of course, yeah, definitely. Uh, see, this... My knowledge, Ra- of, this I, I, my knowledge of X-Men is not as in-depth as yours. This is, this is basically Ralph, Ralph, Reed, <laughs> Star, Ralph Reed Star Trek, but the other way around. When it comes to X-Men, this is my, this is my real house. I was a proper hardcore X-Fan boy for a long time. I'm aware. Uh, it, it's got um, Thingy Bobby in it. Juggernaut. Juggernaut. And Magneto. And well. Blob, Pyro, Pyro, like I said, everyone. Uh, White Queen. Yeah, there's a lot in it for 25 minutes. Oh, it's dense. It's a pilot, so it's uh, it's good fun, and it's got a great theme tune. X Men, X Men. I will. I'll pa- I'll splice it in here. Place to hide. No place to run. No place to run. The mutant has now begun. That is, that is not the truth at all. X-Men! That's it. That's it. <laughs> that was horrific that and nowhere was near. That was exactly it. It was not. That was the tune. That was the tune of X-Men, Planet X-Men. So, so that was the cartoon and uh, this this is the special which yeah. talks about. It's um, now... Screen Grab Comics or Cinemanga remember Tokyo Pop uh, did a lot of them are, and are often uh, disregarded digest. as yeah, yeah. often disregarded as not proper comics and the reason for that I think is because people have been exposed to them when they're done badly I speak of things like Screen Grab Screen Grab Comics of certain Transformer shows in recent years by IDW where they're, they're printed very small with very dark screen captures and you can't really see what's going on yeah. and the lettering's not particularly good because they're digest they're cheap and they're yeah. pumped out so this is this, uh, this has actually had a lot of thought with it because um, now you don't really expect high definition screen caps like you would today but they're well printed they're not bloody you can tell what's going on they've picked the right shots to do it lettering's fine story's fine it actually works as a comic and what they've done is wisely went well we've got a, an aspect ratio that we can play with so it's pretty much almost always a six panel page yeah, for the which works part. and again there's nothing wrong with that because again you look at things like Asterix and other European things they generally tend to t- stick to a particular block of layouts vary every now and then when you need to so it's quite good very nice very nice uh, shiny shiny paper yes it's uh, let's see. Uh, my original I lost but then acquired a, a nice one on eBay not that long ago yeah and uh, this was uh, £3 for Boxfam 
Indeed. So it's as close to the classic sort of the Claremont era that you would expect if for a long time again Nightcrawler's the sort of the, the attempts to be the charming one as he always was and it does it picks up on the fact that yes he would probably scare the bejesus out of a young young person who's never met him before and that's kind of the thrust of mm-hmm. the, the subplot going through the pilot Kitty learns that he's not a monster he just looks like one he's great he basically tries to almost sacrifice himself to save the day mm-hmm. that's good that's uh, it also has the uh, pilot has the best thing about the 80s early 80s Marvel cartoons Stan Lee introduces it that's right he narrates and introduces, introduces it to it which is always good and gives it that final mark of quality so uh, it's, well, it's, uh, it's it's more family look it's you can try you'll find it on eBay a lot people sometimes will ask for stupid money for it have a little bit of patience it crops up quite a bit yes. but it's, it's worth getting if you're a cursory fan the stories it's an adaption of a pilot episode so it's not anything reinventing the wheel but it's good solid superhero stuff tells you what the X-Men is kind of you've got a little bit of the prejudice when they save some innocent family and the, the little child realises now cause a nice woman he hands on the doll family go get away from her you stinking mutant and all that sort of stuff gets in mm-hmm. uh, what was your other item as well uh, the other item is, is, is of a different quality um, but still good this is the Marvel UK X-Men annual uh, with uh, Jim Lee art on the front there and it's got uh, it's got him Wolverine Gambit Cyclops Rogue and Thingy Bobby there are three other characters there as well so you can try and name the rest well the thing is because I'm looking at it from behind thinking I couldn't see the picture forgetting the pictures on the back as well so you've got Beast and you've got her down there which was um, was that Jubilee? that is Ah, so so who's Thingy Bobby? that's uh, Psylocke correct it just took me a while my X-Men always takes a lot longer this is from the the art is from the very last uh Marvel X-Men comic Jim Lee did X-Men 11 inked by Bob Wyacek it's recoloured though from the UK one I think it's by the, the John there's two John Burns in comics yep. there was a John there's a John M. Burns a very talented artist there's also I think John Burns who did some colour covers for Marvel UK in terms of colour work yes. this is him yeah. he does very nice colour work uh, so this item was £4.95 it's also 96 pages which is bigger than most yeah, annuals uh, well, from Marvel were the they were usually 64 pages correct um, so this is this is this X Men Annual nineteen ninety six with uh, managing director Paul Neary, who's your favourite. No, sorry, he is Michael Hobson's managing director. Paul Neary is editor in chief. Yes, I'm misreading the credits there. Yeah, put it in Italy. And it's a nice pristine copy, which again was from X Men for ninety nine pounds because whoever had it did write in their name and the annual belongs to. So on the contents page it says, "What voice will I do? I'll do Professor X's voice." Which Professor X? He's had many in cartoons. <laughs> I've just done that Professor X voice. Alright, <coughs> here we go. Heads up, programs. Welcome to a meltdown of mutant mayhem. Two complete X epics so important they can only be presented to the world in this extra special 96 page edition. Dot, dot, dot. And that's not all. There's also grave danger in store for three of Xavier, that's me, heroes in an X Men short story and a unique Christmas tale featuring Wolverine. And heart rending solo action with two X Men comics now on sale. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get back character. The animated series of All My Smash and an X Men movie on the cards. This really is a marvellous mutant age of comics. So thank you, Professor X. Um, well, good to be to join us. Contents uh, follow the leader, Grave Danger, Madripoor Knights with a K for Knights. 
And Zounds of Silence. See, I'm useless at describing right. things, because I just think that's kind of enjoyable. Right, so I will, I will run through. So this is the just before the Marvel UK kind of stops being Marvel UK and Panini kind of take over. Yeah. So this is the, when the X-Men have a, a normal, U, UK, for the time, UK oversized comic that would soon fold and you get the Panini Collector's Editions, which run to this day. Yeah. Uh, so the story, the main story is from X-Men Unlimited uh, 1, which is due to publishing schedules in America, they often months had, every three months they have the fifth, what's the fifth week yeah. which usually used to be kind of a dead zone for it so it used to do quarterly books to sort of bring in Marvel started with X-Men Unlimited DC followed soon but had like Justice League quarterly Green Lantern Cops quarterly Batman Chronicles Superman Chronicles Spider-Man Unlimited all that sort of stuff uh, so this is the first one so it ties in this is in just before the return of Magneto yeah. that's when the X-Men are split into two teams blue and gold yep. uh, you've got Cyclops leading blue team mm-hmm. Storm leading the gold team yes it's the, the gold, a golden age. Badoom. It's after Executioner song, mm-hmm. but before Fatal Attractions. Well done. For X Men fanboys. That's very good. Uh, it's written by Scott Lobdell with Chris Bacalo, penciling, and Dan Panosian. I can't know if you pronounce his name properly, Inker, and so on and so forth. Um, I, I enjoy it because it's fairly standalone, fairly interesting. It's got Cyclops out, you, you can't really see properly. And he's out in the snow, and he's like, Oh, the X Men could be in front of me, and I could be dying, and all that kind of stuff. And they have a nicely self contained adventure, see, uh, which is ideal annual fodder, actually, because that's what annuals, if you can't produce new material, you've got to select a good strip that can go in there. Uh, it's actually alright. It does, basically, the X Men are stranded, in the, or three of the X Men, Professor X, Storm, and Cyclops, are stranded there. As it says, initially, Cyclops is without his, loses his visor. It turns out that they've been attacked by. Sienna Blaze so this is not actually continuity free mm. because Sienna Blaze is part of the upstarts who are basically spoiled mutant brats who are playing a game to try and basically dominate things it's, she's trying to get points by taking out three the heavy hitters of the X-Men looks like they're all going to die stranded there yeah. Professor X goes off in the snow is rescued by someone at a citadel it's Magneto you won't find out in this but very shortly after it gets revealed in things like Fatal Attraction going beyond it that's Magneto's citadel where he's been at before he comes back Mm-hmm. and then before he rips out the adamantium from Wolverine's skeleton very good well done uh, so it's good so the thing is the X-Men Unlimited title was a bit of an event so they did yeah. again Bacallo at the time was on Shade the Changing Man with a Vertigo and was Vert- and then would then go on to do Generation X when it launched with yes. Lobdell shortly after Star on the Rise so it was a good heavy hitter the title did over the years sort of drop down in sort of mm-hmm. prestige and not, not be as good yeah kind of read those lines it wasn't important so yeah. don't buy it uh, there is some exclusive original content which is a text story which takes up six pages uh, one of which is full art um, now on the one hand it is surprising because the art let's put it is taken from other sources so there's no original art there but at least it is an original text story uncredited so we don't know who the writer is he's not, he or she is not named um, and this probably was where the only money for the annual was because it's only original content but it was always a mainstay of uh, Marvel UK annuals is you'd always get one or two text stories in there as well. We were reading and stuff for the kiddies. And it's over even having an adventure and grave is like a you know, pun-tastic word. Uh, it's all right. It's nothing particularly really to ask. There's really nothing to talk about. Um, but it's, it's nice that it's just there. It's all about learning fear and fear is actually a kind of chemical thing called FE4R. And so it goes. And so what, we get like leak speak. 
And then, uh, yeah, yeah, quite <laughs> much, yeah, 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 and, and uh, fears elite. Yeah, and it's all about like, like fear is a good thing uh, for Wolverine. It helps him solve, but he's got his all this kind of chemical attack and so on. So you, you'll forget it for the second that you actually finish reading it. So it's really only kind of footnote, but it's surprising it's even there actually that they actually had a tiny editorial budget for somebody to write a text for me. Yeah. So then the time, then you get a pinup with uh, Gambit, Storm, and Jean Grey. Uh, that is from another a later X Men unlimited uh, issue and that is by John Romita Jr and who's doing the inks I'm not sure who that is but I, I, can't can't, I, don't, I don't know who their signature is yeah. so. but it's John Romita Jr on pencils yeah. but you could recognise it straight off the bat got that. and then we move into the next story which is Madripoor Nights by Chris Claremont and Jim Lee and Scott Williams and that comes from I want to say it's X-Men 268 it's before Extinction Agenda because it's when Wolverine's there, so 270, 269... 268, I think. 267 or 268. Well done. I've got Captain America and a... It's a flashback. It's a flashback to go to the game for the first time and all that. Uh, it's all right. It's fine. What's the fighting? Not too bad. It's Jim Lee. It's Jim Lee. Uh, Again, you, you can sort of read it for... Maybe not as like a first-time X-Men comic, but it's kind of... It's good for an annual. It's kind of standalone adventure. And having Captain America there gives it a nice wee... Nice wee touch. So you get that full adventure. And, and Black Widow's in it as well. Black Widow as well, yeah. And the other wee pin-up, which is uh, Beast, Iceman and Jubilee by Liam and Robin, 99. That's Liam Sharp and Robin Riggs. Correct. Well done. That's not too bad. And then we finish up with Zounds of Silence. It's credited to Larry Hammer and Michael Golden. The team that brought you Bucky O'Hare. Indeed. And it's a textless piece of Wolverine uh, kind of fighting, uh, robot-type things, uh, and dragony things, and uh, no dialogue. And it's, uh, it's all right. It's fine. It's not nice speaking of. Well, the tale actually is: it's Wolverine fighting an endless display of random monsters and robots and stuff, and then gets melted. And it turns out, no, it's just a kid playing with toys in an aisle there and using his imagination. It's been in a few places. I've read it before somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not too bad. Again, it's a good thing about the annual because it's a nice contrast. Yeah. And maybe would have had it as the last story in the annual. Maybe would have maybe put that in the middle and finish another one. But there you go. And then we have another picture here of that person there uh, Jean Grey thank you my brain just completely fried by Jay Lee by Jay Lee nice picture and then that's at the end but it's it's kind of it's a strange one because it's it's kind of end of an era in terms of Marvel UK as an entity it's and also kind of near the end of the year in terms of annuals being what annuals should be or outside of the, the likes of DC Thompson's Bino and Danny Annuals who still fly the, and the Bruins and the uh, like Rupert the Bear still uh, puts the effort in for the annuals which is you have at least one text story you have some comic strips which are either originated or are with someone else and part of the treaties are getting a nice oversized yeah. format as well yeah it's, and again 96 pages so yeah it's, it's, like I said it's more than what you'd usually get so for, so for 96 if you're going to charge 495 you're getting a little bit more yep so it was good and it was one I didn't, I didn't see it back in the day so my first exposure to it was getting an oxfam yep. so it's all good so it's actually been it's been quite a positive episode so far it has more, well, no, kind of start off a bit rocky then. Well, know, but even, even then, there was still some good stuff in yeah. there. So, it's time for the feature the features, Randy. Right, it's time for Ralph Reed Star Trek. There we go. So, what have we got for you this time? I'll tell you. We've got Star Trek D Space Nine Gamma Original Sin by David R. George III. Let's read the back cover blurb. At the end, not fact, you should read the back cover blurb. Go on. Okay. 
At the end of 2385, when a significant shift of his goals from military back to exploratory, Starfleet sent Captain Benjamin Sisko and the crew of the USS Robinson on an extended mission into the Gamma Quadrant. Tasked with a years-long assignment to travel unknown regions, they set out to fulfil the heart of Starfleet's charter, to explore strange new worlds and to seek out new life and new civilizations. But now, three months into the mission, their first contact with alien species comes in the form of an unprovoked attack on the Robinson. With the ship's crew suddenly incapacitated, 78 of the 1300 on board are abducted, including Sisko's daughter, Rebecca. But Rebecca has already been kidnapped years earlier by a Bajoran religious zealot, part of a select believing that her birth fulfilled the prophecy of the arrival of the infant avatar. Does her disappearance now have anything to do with the harrowing events of the past? And for what purposes have these enemies taken Sisko's daughter and the rest of the missing? So there we go. So that, that is this exciting novel. Now, as you'll be aware, Andy, the Deep Space Nine novels have had several plot lines running for quite a few years now. <laughs> okay. Yes. So, yes. Let, let, let's deal with the, the big one. Okay. Cisco. Yes. We know he was meant to kind of skip through time and that by the end right. of it. It's like, yeah. your job isn't done effectively. Yes. Why is he now back as a corporeal entity? I'm glad you asked. Because that's part of this 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 exciting storyline that's been going on for about six years so far. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> David R. George, uh, what, basically the way the Star Trek novels work is uh, David R. George is basically he kind of like is like the main writer for Deep Space Nine continuity. Uh, Kirsten Beyer is the main writer for Voyager, who's now also a writer on the TV show Star Trek Discovery. And uh, Enterprise novels are done by Christopher L. Bennett, uh, as you may recall from our previous exciting episodes. He does all the Enterprise novels. And then when it comes to TNG and original series, it's a kind of mixture of, of writers. So what you get is you get a nice clear vision on ongoing plot lines that last for quite some time. So uh, previously on Deep Space Nine, we had the Long Mirage, uh, which brought to an end the year-long plot lines of where did Morn go after the Borg War? And what's happened to Vic Fontaine? Where's he gone? Who do? So we finally got an answer to those those plot lines. Okay, um, that's not answering my question of Cisco. I'm getting to it. I'm, getting, I'm putting this in context. Putting this in context. So so they finally reached it, and then a lot of wee plot lines been bubbling away, bubbling away, bubbling away. Is that um, okay? So when does Cisco died in the TV show, um, they got some other guy to take over Deep Space Nine. And his big gimmick was that he was old. That was his. That was his big gimmick. Uh, he was like eighties year old. Like that was it. And then what happened to him is eventually went into. Did he, did he die? Well, what happened old? is he went into a coma, right, <laughs> for about three years. And um, every now and then people would say, "Oh, how's he getting on?" And they're like, oh, he's, he's still in a coma, sick bay. It's, it's not so good, but you know, fine." And then eventually, after after about three years of this in the books, somebody basically said, "Well." Why don't we just switch off his machine? Because he's not going to come back. So everyone that was ever in Star Trek came to the station. They all went around his bed and they sang songs and hung each other and did poems and stuff. And then they switched them off. Right. So anyway, that's an exciting um, book. And Deep Space Nine, of course, as we know, has been destroyed, and as I explained previously, and there's now a new Deep Space Nine station. Does it look identical to? No, it's a Federation-built station. But it's the previous one of those Terra Nor. So one of the is that so so Cisco died, but actually the prophets needed him for some mysterious reason, which is still to be revealed. Okay, and it's kind of inconvenient for him because little did anyone know that he'd uh, impregnated Cassidy Yates, his girlfriend, Captain Yates. So she was like, "Oh, I'm pregnant. Oh, I'm pregnant." And eventually gives birth to Rebecca, and then the prophets kind of like fire Cisco back out the wormhole, and. Um, 
and we stopped and then they shut off all contact with Cisco so he spent all the years kind of going oh the prophets they've stopped talking to me what, what's it all about and as Rebecca Cisco's got older uh, you have all these kind of she's like wise beyond her years and seems to kind of be like kind of ethereal sort of alieny and maybe the prophets have made her come into existence in some way but remember the TV show Cisco was told you know if you kind of stay with Cassidy Yates you'll know nothing but sorrow so what happened is that um, and so we're picking up the plotline of Rebecca Cisco in this exciting adventure uh, the primary story of this novel commences on March 2386 not long after the events of the Deep Space Nine novels Ascendance and the Long Mirage finally freed from patrolling the sector in Deep Space Nine in the aftermath of the assassination of Federation President Nanetta Bako Captain Cisco and Robinson crew finally set off on a mission of exploration at the Gamma Quadrant. So back in the day, now, what's happened in the Deep Space Nine novels is the moon of Vandala, which is one of the Bajoran moons, has turned out to be a false work. It's actually a fake moon, right? And there's the cult of the Uhula Hula Hula, whatever they're called. And I can never remember the name, so it's just called Hula Hoops because it's a hard to pronounce word. Okay, so it's yes. a, you mean it's a space station? We don't know yet. We don't know yet. This, so this plot line's only been on for about four years. How do we too much memory. How do we know it's a fake moon then? Because the, the disciples of the Hula Hoops uh, cult uh, thought it was, and they made like a big explosion go off in the moon, which exposed the artificiality of it. So it's a space station then? We don't know yet. We don't know if it's a space station yet. All right? That's, that's no moon. It's a space station. Very good. Which of, which of course, you know, causes the cheap divisions on Bajor. So there was a time back in the day when the old guy who was in Deep Space Nine, who before Deep Space Nine was in charge of the USSS James T. Kirk <laughs> spaceship, went and, and investigated the Hula Hoop cult people and uh, Cisco turned up as well to help because I'm like, oh, I'm the embassy and so on. And then following that, a mad guy went, I'm going to go and I'm going to steal, so they kidnap. Rebecca Sisko because the prophecies of the hula hoop said that she is the avatar you see which ties up with a novel from about 10 years ago um, which is also called Avatar so he thinks that she's got some kind of powers and she's like no I don't so they have that plot line that bounces with the present day plot line with the Robinson crew led by Sisko are in the, the Gamma Quadrant right and it turns out that um, Rebecca Sisko actually has the power to turn back time itself which may or may not be given to her by the prophets. Well, it probably wasn't given to her by her dad. But the thing is, nobody knows she's got this, these powers because when she got kidnapped by the evil Bajoran hula hoop guy in the past, uh, he was going to blow it up with a, a bomb because that's what he said the prophecy said he had to do to stop the Avatar from you know, mucking things up and so on. Um, and it actually explodes and kills her and kills everyone. And then she like, goes, oh, it's really sore and wipes time, winds time back. <laughs> And so that has a, like a different resolution and wipes everyone's mind so no one ever knows and the same thing happens in the Gamma Quadrant because they encounter a race which Cisco goes oh they're a bit like the Zindi they're a bit like the Borg but they're not the Bindi let's call them the Bindi Zorg. I'll go for the Bindi uh, so the Bindi uh, uh, they, they are like um, like sort of like jelly things with artificial um things crafted so on them but no two people are the same Borg jellyfish kind of and like bleh. and they don't live in a Dyson sphere they live in like a big rectangle in space that's got like a Dyson environment inside it and they, they've also annihilated all space time around about it so what they do is they like come up to your ship and they like destroy space time around you so you're kind of marooned and they leap across in the spaceships and they steal your children because they don't know how they can't reproduce normally so they take your kids and then they take the kids mind 
and they put the kid's mind into a new kind of Borg jellyfish thing and then that becomes the next generation of the race. So they've done that, to, don't look at me like that, so they've done that to the kids and then what? That's awful. <laughs> I don't mean from awful as in, oh that's, that's so bad for them, I mean in, that premise is absolutely wank. Because you, you don't know what it's about the whole time and how they, how they like, like destroy space time and stuff. It's great. So so they have to go there and then uh, but what happens is the Cisco's too late. At this point Rebecca has been transferred into the, the Jelly Borg thing and he goes, Hello father like that and like Cisco's like, Oh no, no, it's what we do with the prophets and all this kind of stuff and foreshadowing and so on. But then she turns back time itself so she never gets turned into one of them and they save everyone and they kick the ass of all the bindi and then they fly away. And then you're kind of left to Rebecca and they're kind of going, ooh, I've got powers, what can they be? Ooh. And you have to read the next one to find out. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're, oh, they're called the, the Glant. <laughs> I couldn't remember the name, yeah, yeah. I'll be glad when the Glant are all behind us, said Cassidy Yates. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and, uh, and they lived on the Dyson section. That was what it was called. Dyson section. Oh, there you go. And here is the Dyson trapezoid, <laughs> which we've made our home. <laughs> yeah, and then at the end of it, uh, Rebecca Cisco, because um, all the kids go off and see the ship's counsellor uh, to, to see how it's, uh, it's all kind of going. So then Rebecca's kind of like chatting to the counsellor and she's thinking about it. And uh, Rebecca says, Oh, Rebecca still didn't know how she'd done it, but she'd undone something that had happened, made time go another way. She didn't know if she was allowed to do that. She didn't want to talk about it. She thought it might upset mummy and daddy. Even so, Rebecca kind of liked that she could do that. She liked the hate she had used that ability. Twice, it kept her from being hurt. Dash, or worse. Rebecca, the counsellor asked. Can you tell me how you're feeling right now? Rebecca thought about that for a moment. She knew that she should answer, and that she wanted to find the right word. Rebecca considered what she had done. Dash considered what she could do under the right circumstances. It felt like a gift, and it made her smile. Rebecca, the counsellor asked again, how do you feel? Powerful, she said. That's like your cliffhanger for, for the next one. Good? It's not, is it? I think I, I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> and it was better than a long mirage, because, you know, the long mirage, just... Again, just basing the whole novel on Morn and Vic Fontaine, it was just a little bit too much. It was just a little bit too wanky. You know, this this was more of a kind of adventure story. And how it bounced back between the story in the past when Rebecca was kidnapped by the evil hula hoop guy and it's like a sort of like police procedural where they be doing this thing and this woman who's never been in any previous Star Trek novel or film or TV show, I'd like to point out, how it kind of solves the case and it's cut back and forth for the, the science fiction section with the glant and, and their dyson section and their evil sort of oh, 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 it's all science fiction stuff it's great I, I thought it was one of the more enjoyable Deep Space Nine novels the last couple of years glad <laughs> it just sounds like a euphemism for, for something that's like oh should have seen the state of his gland but, just, the, but the, that's they're, they're proper alien as well because Cisco keeps saying get back our children and they're like we don't understand what you are talking about. What are children? Because they're, they're alien, you see, they're alien. Well, they must understand because they kidnapped them to propagate the next generation of species, so... Ah, but, but they've got, like, the language, the, the universal translators don't quite work. And, 
and they, they think that, that Cisco's threatening them by taking away the kids because they're like, you're having the end of the race, we can never be another thing again, blah, 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 you know. But that just sounds awful. What? No, it's just good. also it's the, the Dyson section. I think the Dyson section was a wee bit different. What do you mean, it's a rectangular Dyson sphere? <laughs> <laughs> ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、ああ、
Uh, who grows to about the size of a small uh, medium dog it looks extremely unhappy about being the size of yeah. but it turns out some the terrorists yes. I believe in cap- capitals as well uh, are aware of this so they break into the lab because they want the formula just this formula because then he'll have control of the world's food supply and he'll right. be powerful that's <laughs> he, he does actually do the ha 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 he does well kind of like putting his arms up in the air with guns and yeah. talking to I don't know the air yeah so anyway they, they break in uh, as a hat the scientists then go need to take the formula which turns out to be the box and a couple of bits within the box that make it grow. They take that and a bit of paperwork. Yep. They scarper. Now, I'd like to point out, before you mention that, we know they're scientists. How do we know they're scientists? Because they're wearing white coats. Exactly. But when they attack, people die. More people die. Uh, as the scientists go, a couple of them get shot. They keep running away. A couple more get shot. You get the idea until one of them, who it turns out is maybe not as, as, as honourable as you think, horses away the, the formula or the box yep. and then jumps out of a car and gets a head wound and then the car ex- car goes off a cliff and explodes before it hits anything <laughs> while it's turning as it goes off that's what happens in real life you know cut to a scene back uh, in a, a house nearby yep. a little girl has found a, a snake that she's got a pet she called it Mosler it's uh, so a good wee pet a good wee snake because it, it, it responds it bobs its head and yeah. acts kind of like a dog but as a snake yeah so anyway she's hiding it from her mum because not allowed it she then finds the, the box when they're out uh, so she takes the box back home mm-hmm. makes it as a house for Mosler then there's I think a storm yep it zaps stuff and he becomes bigger and makes it yeah he, he, sud- he suddenly has the ability to make noises as snakes do so while this is going on the, ga- the the terrorists are trying to track it down also the army are trying to track down what's going on Dude. and they also have to call a special, a special agent uh <laughs> Agent, Agent Fast, Agent Ted Fast, Ted Fast, and who is is an absolute douche in that he's a monster. He's a proper monster. He is a proper psychopath. He has a red hat, which we'll go into later. Yes. but he's not wearing it for most of the it's film. It's on the on the loop of his belt. But basically, he runs up and engineers any kind of clash with the terrorists in order to kill them in cold blood. And sometimes goes, "Don't you know who I am?" Yeah. And then shoots. Yes. Basically gets to that. So the gangsters event. Uh, Mosler then ends up through a bolt lightning striking uh, some house or storage shed. Gets even bigger. Yeah. Saves a little girl. They're still friends. Uh, the terrorists end up finding out what's happened while and try to kidnap her. Yeah. Mosler saves her. They try again to kidnap her. Mosler saves her. They try again, then get her away. Mosler goes mental, goes after them. And Kills thousands. Point. Yeah, listen, see, up to this point, uh, the kid is protective of the giant snake and goes, Mosler, Mosler, you're my friend, save me, save me. Yeah, yeah, and Mosler's like a good egg. And Mosler's a good egg because he, he, he just kind of bobs his head up and down and wags his tail and, <coughs> sort of, and it helps him out and stops the bad guys getting there. And then the killing speed starts. Mosler takes out a bridge, takes out a, a train, train, a dam, floods and kills. Town, uh, buildings and all the kids are going don't kill Mazda go kill Mazda protect her protect her but this point you're just going no they even send planes out yeah. towards the snake and the snake takes out the planes because yep. that's realistic yep pleasingly it doesn't take out the planes because it has like Godzilla f- uh, breath and anything it yep. just kind of like twats them with his yeah head. or tail yeah uh, the girl gets kidnapped the police guy saves her uh, thanks to the help of the girl distracting them and he then turns around and guns down the terrorist <laughs> As you do. They, they flee the building and escape. Uh, meanwhile, Ted Fast has been killing killing random agents to find the terrorist guy. Where at this point there, he always acts alone. And which gets the best scene goes, you better help Agent Te- Agent Fast. He goes, 
I'd like to have Bage fast, but he works alone, so I, I, I can help him by giving him information. Because I am in a different film from Ted Fast. <laughs> <laughs> I can't quite reveal that I am footage from a previously edited film. Yeah. And then, so it ends with a jet fighter ramming Mosler in the head, killing the pilot, but takes out Mosler. Yeah. The girl goes on to a screaming... Like you've never bit. heard in your oh, life. Oh, it's proper painful. As in, it's so shrill, it's just like... It's like, stop. But at that point, we're like, this film is never ending. It did feel like The Return of the King with the, the many, the many, many endings. endings. Because we've still had, had Ted Fast, his storyline is still at yeah. the conclusion. Exactly. And so then it cuts to Ted Fast. And Ted Fast goes up to Solomon, the head of the terrorists. Yeah. And basically, Solomon's in his car. He pulls out a little revolver, ready, ready to take out Ted Fast. Uh, Ted Fast gets the drop on him, and he goes, get out of the car. Put your, put your gun down and get the car. So, terrorist then opens the door really quick to twat Ted Fast. So he falls, drops his gun. They have a little bit of a fight. Then, uh, <laughs> Ted Fast is at this point, I should point out, is wearing his hat. Yes, but what does he do with his hat? But, and it, the thing is, it's a Betty. <laughs> I, I love it. It's a, it seems to be oversized because it's kind of floppy and dangly and hanging off. So it, it just looks bad. It upset me that's like, that's poor hat wearing. He does at least use it as a weapon, though. He throws yes. it at the terrorist guy. Yes, he distracts the terrorist guy by throwing it at his face. The terrorist then looks up, he picks up his gun and shoots the terrorist to death. And then it cuts. It's yeah. pretty much the minute the terrorist drops the ground, he stands up. The end. Very abrupt. It's... Great. It was entertaining up to a point. Yes. We are, we are fans of, of the Joseph Lai's work. In what, a great, what a great guy. He's given some many, of them. Well, Apart from the other one. There's one we don't talk about, but he, he gave us Jaguar Wong. Yes, oh, Jaguar Wong. Jaguar Wong. What more do you want? But it's, it's just... It's a, just a, the thing is, even taking the cut and shot thing, which is all his stuff is like is the Ted Fast stuff, yeah. the rest of it is some strange monster movie that makes no sense anyway. Because we never do find out about the giant frog. Because they look around this big case and we're like, oh, it's we got thought the giant it was the frog. frog. It. Yeah, it's got the giant frog. And it just vanishes, so it's still out there somewhere. We hope. We hope. Looking really angry. Ready to do whatever giant frogs it is. There's something vague in my head about a giant frog film. Oh, I'm sure there's plenty. I'm sure I there's been, I'm, you look, look I've got a bigger device. You're a plan for time. Um, I could pad for time all day. Um, yes, so yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's funny about a giant... It's in the back of my head that there was some nightmare film of a giant... Oh, I'm thinking of Night of the Leapers, which was the one with D. Forrest Kelly with those giant killer rabbits in 1973. Because rabbits are just like frogs, except they're not. No, oh, they're croaked. And there's, ah. Oh, and how could how could you be forgetting Rana, the Legend of Shadow Lake, which I believe we watched in the that must in be an what episode I'm, that of must be what I'm thinking in an episode of uh, Volume One. But there's a uh, croaked, yeah, which is Rana, the Legend of Shadow Lake, which we watched. Yeah, I see. Yeah, that is. Ah, I remember, I remember that. Yeah, the the the, the frogs. Because I mean, if you had a frog that was the size of a house, to be fair, this frog wasn't the size. It of wasn't it. the size. Of it house, was but, the, but if he'd been hit by lightning, the way the snake was, he would be the size of a house. Yeah, so basically. So if you had a frog the size of a house and it was evil, how would it attack? Would it just kind of like leap up and down a lot? And then when it lands, people die. Yeah, I don't think it would be actually attacking people as such. It would just be proper. Even damage. then, it would still have the little, the little, uh, little hands. Yeah. Unless it was a poisonous frog, in which case it would like leap at you and then roll over, 
roll onto you so you touch the poison bit and it's back and died alternatively rubber rubber that's what it would say it would say rubber 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 the problem is if it's a giant frog yes if it's the size of a house yes if it leaps up and touches me back and rolls over it's not the poison to kill you it's the weight of said giant frog that will have already no, crushed no, you to death what I was thinking was that, that it might do like a cartwheel movement right? like a cartwheel movement leap so as it goes along it brushes its back against lots of people but again and then they all die from the poison they'd still then if it's still brushing them given the size of it it's probably going to kill them just from the impact alone well you see it would kill see it's a good move because some people it would kill by squashing and some people would kill by poisoning so it's like a multi-assault no, vector no. attack. How is it going to kill them? Because they'll, 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 be, they'll have been squashed no, to death. No, no, no. The ones nearest to it right, will get squashed, and the ones behind them will just get like... You know when somebody brushes past you in the shop because they're going really fast to the tools? Like that, but a giant frog. That's the size of a house with poison. No, you're still going to die. No. Bob next to the till and Tesco might die, but you won't die. You'll be fine. You're slightly further away. No, I'm still. The, the frogs, they don't have a tongue, do they? No, um, I'm sure they. No, they do. Do they? That what what an absolute loss to science you have been. The frogs have a tongue. I wonder how. I'll do an impression of a frog. That'll tell me whether they have tongues or not. That's how people learn. They try and put themselves in their shoes. They uh, figure it out. It's called Ra- kind of aesthetic learning style. Ra- Ralph Ralph does not have a white coat, therefore he is not he is not a scientist. This is true. I'm not a scientist, but I'm, I know a lot about science. Scientists. Anyway, we digress from uh, Thunder of Gigantic Serpent. Uh, it was alright you, you can find it on YouTube if you're curious it's, it's with Greek subtitles it's apparently the only digital copy kicking about it serves it does the job it's a nice daft it's, it's not a patch on the, the ninja films but bar, nothing is but the Jaguar one film is the, the it's, 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 and then also Ninja Terminator, Ninja Terminator the Golden Ninja Warrior the Golden Ninja Warrior I kind of like them that it's got some British actor in there Pierre whatever his name is yeah. the very British name yeah. uh, who's sadly no longer with us unfortunate well, what a, what a conclusion that has yes. been. Uh, that, that is the, the thunder of the gigantic serpent. Thunder! That was, that was a thunder sound effect. Was it? It was. Uh, Ralph was also not, in addition to not being a uh, scientist, he's also not a Foley artist, as we <laughs> tune in next time to find out what other things Ralph isn't. He's he also, as we've determined, not a good judge of the literary quality of books. I've read Shakespeare. I know, but you... I'm actually reading a book just now about the history of the first folio in terms of the biography of the published copies through the four centuries of time. I'm reading it at the same time as reading Star Trek D Space Nine Gamma Originals in. I have wide reading habits. Yeah, it's true, but uh, you should stop some of your reading habits. No. To give me joy. It's just not good. It is. Long, long, long meandering plot lines. <laughs> So anyway, so we, we can look forward to that, I suppose, um, as an exciting teaser for the following episode. We were sent some items. Which we haven't got around to yet. So they'll have to wait for next time. Let's see what they are. Uh, so next time we'll have uh, a review of Stargate Atlantis Dead End, the 12th and exciting Stargate Atlantis novel series from 2010. Uh, sent to us by an anonymous yet clearly obvious listener. Yes, we know your handwriting. 
um, and also DR Who, The Lost Interviews, Prepare to Experience Doctor Who as it's never been seen before, which is an exciting DVD which we will view and then comment upon. An attempt at truth ending, uh, which we feel will backfire, for it doesn't seem to be... I think we'll be fine, but we'll, we'll come back with an opinions. Yes, so that'll be back on Stardub episode 4. Anything to say or comments or feedback, uh, Facebook page, uh, Stardub Podcast, uh, Twitter at Stardub Pod. Those of you who have the snail mail address, feel, feel free to not send in any more items of cack. <laughs> be greatly appreciated. Goodbye. Farewell. Ha 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 